I saw the cutest thing this morning. I was out there walking through the yard and this little squirrel came down the apple tree and went over to the pile of leaves that you raked up. And it was it was doing this like it thought maybe there was something good in there. Yeah. And then it and then it just started jumping, swirling, and Aww. jumping into the leaves. We did an experiment on our cat. <gasps> Uh, oh. Based on some internet reading and some observations of odd behavior, we discovered that Parachute reacts to olive juice almost exactly the same way that she reacts to catnip. And apparently really? this, is, this is apparently not uncommon in cats. How weird. Because Black there's olives? Some, green olives. Green olives. Green I, think olives. It's, I think it's supposedly all olives huh. or most olives. It's there's something in olives that um, that it's the oleic acid. It's like a facial pheromone, the way that catnip makes that same reaction. We we discovered it because we spilled a little olive juice on the table and parachute started like writhing on the corner of the table and and rubbing her face on everything. So, you know, if your cat ever seems down, try just, you know, try some olive juice, try putting some olive juice near it and see what happens. Hello, and welcome to good-looking people in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Hello. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hi. And by our friend, Vinny. Hello. We took a week off, and we did a longer reading. Uh, so we've got kind of a, a big chunk to get through here, and I feel like there's a lot to talk about in this section. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so we start with this excerpt from James O's autobiography. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, we're we're back in 1963 in California. I have one very large question about okay. this whole thing, uh, yeah. which is why did they let James Senior take his costume home with him? You know, it was the 60s. It was like. TV. It wasn't really taken seriously. I could see this being a thing. Um, But yes, it does seem wildly irresponsible of the props department. Oh, incredibly irresponsible. And like that they also apparently didn't take the makeup off, which makes a little bit more sense than letting him take his costume home. But I'm, I'm sure I bet it was a union thing like he was probably there for the full 12 hours and they had to just kick him out the door without sending him back through costuming and makeup. Yeah. Don't want to pay him any overtime. Right. But yeah, that was the question that was just kept on going through my head. It is. I mean, it's, it's this- quite an image. It makes me wonder whether that's a detail that James O has like invented in his memory to make it a more striking image. Okay, hmm. but... <laughs> I have a question that plays off of that in that based on James Sr.'s mien and general demeanor throughout the scene, he seems like he's drunk. Oh, yeah, he absolutely so is drunk. my guess yes. is that he was drunk on set and wandered off oh. home. Oh, that makes, that makes some sense. That could but be. I don't know. 
Yeah. That is the, my the, hypothesis. The tomato juice is absolutely not just tomato juice. Oh, yeah, but mm. there's no way that that's his first tomato juice. No, no, no. I, I think at this point, I assume that he is a functioning alcoholic and that he yeah. has to has to keep himself dosed up throughout the day so that he doesn't go into withdrawal. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Also, what we know is that uh, eventually they move away from California because he gets fired from this job, right? Right. Does he get fired? Doesn't I don't he? remember exactly. That's that sounds right. Um, and didn't he give James O the tomato juice as well? Didn't James O drink some of the tomato juice? That's no, not just, just tomato he's, juice. He, he he's made, just he holding it, it for him. Yeah. Oh, okay. He, his, his his attention keeps wandering to the glass and like how he should put it in the sink because he's worried that it's going to be difficult to clean and yeah. it's going to spill on the going to spill on the carpet and where should I he wondered set how, I wondered how old he is here. I, I wondered too. It was 1963 and yeah. I wondered when James I was, o was I was born. too lazy to do to, the math or, or research whether we know when he was born. We should, shouldn't we? I felt uh, like we did, but I, I also felt too lazy to go back and see. I think we know um, how old he was when he died and then we could use that to figure it out. So yeah. how old was he when he died? I, I don't know. I'm not prepared prepared to oh. do that research. I don't yeah. know either. If I had to guess, I'd say... Was he 40 oh, something Oh, I think he was he older died? than that. I think he was 50? in his 50s. I think he was in like mid to late 50s. And he died, it would have been about... Uh, 2000, 2000 something 2002 like 2005 2005 yeah i don't know exactly i don't remember what year it was if i had to guess from the the writing i would say maybe 10 or 11 here. yeah i would guess that too kind of Although yeah it's hard to say because they always talk about james o being so tall mm -hmm. that he was about as he was well and he, he says that he, at, at this point parents at this point in the in his life he has just become taller than either of his parents but he was right. like mm -hmm. freakishly tall right yeah as a child yeah. so yeah so that i don't know maybe it doesn't he's necessarily than 10. i don't know yeah, it's possible but he's not old enough to have to deal with this no no i mean who is no who would ever mm. be old enough to deal with this boiling hordes of gibbering squeaking ravenous rapacious rats mm -hmm. <laughs> i did like that sentence Mm -hmm. <laughs> that piece yeah. of that mm -hmm. so i have i have a little uh little bit of a rabbit hole to go down here with uh the glad flaccid plastic receptacle company uh, Ooh, is, okay. that, is now a good okay. time to do that so i did yeah. a little research because all of this sounds incredibly fake to me um but i concluded that only some of it is fake so it was never called the glad flaccid plastic receptacle company i think pretty obviously uh, and it was never headquartered in Zanesville, Ohio. Uh, in fact, the Glad Glad has only ever been a brand and not a company. Um, it originated as a brand of Union Carbide when an Australian uh, scientist invented Glad Wrap, uh, and it was, in it was in introduced in Australia first, and then brought to the American market in 1963. So that timeline more or less checks out. Um, although. Glad didn't produce any flaccid plastic receptacles or, or bags of any kind until 1966 and then only in Australia. It seems like it was largely mm. an Australian brand for a really long time. So now Glad still exists as a plastic receptacle. Yes. Brand, so so, so there, there's some story here. So Union Carbide uh, is notoriously the perpetrator of the deadliest case of criminal negligence in the world. 
uh, when oh. an easily preventable chemical leak at one of their facilities killed 16,000 people in India, India uh, right. in, in 1984. Um, right. uh, they, they were bought by Dow Chemical in 1999, and Dow has refused to accept any liability for their ongoing ecological disaster that the Union Carbide caused, uh, or for the medical needs of its many surviving victims. Glad itself was acquired, was spun off from Union Carbide in 1985 and acquired by Clorox in 1998. Uh, and it's now a joint venture of Clorox and Procter and & Gamble. And that's how it exists today. Okay. Um, so I was also amused to find that the man from Glad was also a real thing. Um, I kind of vaguely remember yeah, the man from I, Glad. I, I, I was curious if you remembered that, Mom, because it would have been like... Uh, in the 60s, the 60s and early 70s was kind of when he was a, an active corporate picture. mascot. I have an ad to play for you, so I'm going to share my screen so we can watch this together. Okay. This is a lot of production for a one-minute video, but it is pretty fun, so In here an we go. audio format, too. Yeah, well, you know, the, the sound <laughs> tells the story here. Man from Glad. Man from Glad. Man from Glad. Yes, Mother, I'm leaving Harold. He was very rude. He said my lunch sandwiches were so stale, even the birds won't eat them. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't talk anymore. Here's your trouble, madam. Open top sandwich bags. Let sandwiches get stale. Try glad sandwich bags. The plastic bags with the full lock top. Fold this flap in, this flap over. The full lock top locks in sandwiches, locks in freshness. And 75 glad bags cost no more than 50 open top bags. Full lock top. 25 extra bags. That's freshness plus. Why, you've practically saved my marriage. That's my job, madam. <laughs> For freshness plus, try Glad Sandwich Bags yeah, and new texture Glad Wrap with cling control from Union Carbide. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I don't think that the man from Glad dates all the way back to 1963. The earliest mention I could find of him was from 1966. Um, and I, and let me let me be clear that I don't remember ever seeing that. That is oh, horrifying. You don't? Yeah, I mean they're just like <laughs> shot like through the... with casual sexism and right. mm -hmm. well that that doesn't surprise me. That no. all looked familiar. Yeah, that's how <laughs> were portrayed in commercials back then. But I don't remember the guy. It's funny he's he is pretty much as described in the book. Like he's got he really meticulously parted white mm -hmm. hair, a white suit. He carries yeah. that white briefcase, and and he sometimes uh -huh. wore a trench coat. Um, it seems to have been a reference to the Man from Uncle, the spy show. That's, yes, mm -hmm. um, and it reminded me of he he reminded me of a Man from Uncle. Yes, yeah, uh, and and that didn't go to air until 1964. So that I okay. think means it can't possibly have dated from before that. But credit where credit is due, that guy is not wearing a wig. So that's something anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. I also just wanted to point out that the the reference to James Sr. and being the man from GLAD originally occurs on page 313. So if you were curious and wanted that casual mention, your callback is 313. Thirteen. There okay. were other things referenced in the in this section, like is I don't know how to say his name. He's the French film critic. Oh, Bazin, An Andre Bazin. I was familiar with him. I've read a little bit of his writing. I think it's fair to describe a lot of it as incredibly boring. Uh, he mm. was a 
a French film critic and co-founder of Cahiers du Cinéma. Um, he wrote, uh, uh, his essays were collected in a book called What is Cinema? That's still pretty important amongst film theorists. And he um, argued, and, I, I found that he argued that realism yeah, is the most yeah. he, important he, he, he was big on cinema. realism. He, he really liked Italian neorealism. He called it the cinema or, or liberation cinema, I think is what he called it. Um, and his ideas were kind of instrumental in the rise of the French New Wave, which was a, a lot about realism and kind of verite impulses mm -hmm. in film. And I'm a little bit confused. Didn't it say that James O was reading a book? Yeah, by I mean, him? I mean, he's very precocious. Like even as a little kid, right? So he read I, about I, film, though. Was he really interested in film back then? It doesn't. So weird. I mean, it, we haven't heard that before, but it doesn't uh -uh. surprise me that much. Right. And does that timeline sync up though? Because French New Wave, I thought that was in the later six. Bazin was writing earlier, so he uh, Cahiers du Cinéma was formed in the uh, uh, 40s, I think actually still during the war they started publishing. Um, and it oh, was, okay. It's kind of a fascinating history. It's one of my favorite things about film history is the way that global cinemas have like influenced each other back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. That because of the war, um, French access to American cinema or cinema of any country was really limited. And so they watched a lot of like old film noir detective movies and cowboy movies from the 30s um uh, and that that was kind of their their bread and butter up until the the early 60s and and they uh bazan and others became really really uh interested in like the the archetypes that those films explored um and wrote about them extensively from like a hoity-toity artsy perspective which nobody had really done up to that point um, <laughs> And, and then some of those ideas went on to inform the new wave, which went on to like inform new Hollywood in the U.S. a couple decades later. So it's really cool to see that back and forth happen. There's yeah. another film reference too to Powell's Peeping Tom, mm. which I looked up mm -hmm. and, and found it, it was described somewhere. It was released in 1960 and it was described as being the most celebrated case of death by critic. Oh, of a film, mm. and then the, and then was later declared a masterpiece. Interesting. It had a cult following for a little bit there. Yeah, it's a movie that revolves around a serial killer who murders women while using a portable film camera to record their dying expressions of terror. <gasps> um, mm. And the title derives from naturally the slang expression "peeping tom," which describes a voyeur. Um, I. Also looked it up because I was curious, and then I found it interesting that the serial killer documenting terror uh, is interesting when held up in the light next to the entertainment. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh. yeah. The entertainment is essentially manifesting that terror in mm -hmm. such a in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Also, I watched the trailer, which was two minutes and 25 seconds long, <laughs> and um, it was the longest trailer that I've watched in a long time, uh, but was it scary? not terrible. No. No? It was very much old-timey Hollywood, so... Yeah. Uh, see so to explain the entire thing... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 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 this man is... The Peeping Tom. <laughs> and you'll be so surprised okay. to find out that this is how the movie ends. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, but I would recommend looking up the, the trailer if you have the time. Yeah, I'll have to do that. That sounds like something I'd enjoy watching. You said it's a British film from the early 60s? 1960. 1960. Mm-hmm. 1960 cool. release. I think there may be a Criterion DVD of Oh, really? Really? Huh. I think huh. so. I might be confusing it with something else, but Interesting. yeah. There's another reference that I looked up just because I wondered it. It's when James O is in his room and says something about his magneto. Uh, it's list, like what he was doing or what was in his room or something. Yeah. Hmm. Magneto. And I looked up Magneto and interestingly, uh, one, of course, is the Marvel Comics character, Magneto, mm-hmm. which you would think might be what it's talking about since he's like maybe 10. But it's also a permanent magnet electrical generator. Yeah. <laughs> which, so then I thought... Then I, I think thought, that's huh, more likely. Maybe that's mm-hmm. more. Maybe I, that's I also what it is. I also don't think that Marvel's Magneto dates back to the early sixties. Yeah, I don't think so. It. Yeah, um, but yeah, so it's basically an electromagnet that you can switch on or off. Um, what a nerd! It's powered by an electric coil. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nerdy kid with a terrible home life. Yeah. There's another little expression that's dropped in here that I really liked that he he's alternating uh, between standing pigeon toad and penguin toad. Oh, yeah. Um, I I never heard penguin toad before, and I really like that. That's really a good that is a good term. The character of Magneto first appears in the X-Men number one cover dated September 1963. So that timeline does sync up. But I do agree that the electrical engine type thing is more likely for James. He doesn't strike me as a comic books kind of kid. Well, it's it's also not capitalized like a a name. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I like the the ambiguous nature of the use of that. That it it could potentially be either. Mm -hmm. Like something that you would expect a 10-year-old to have in his room or something that you wouldn't expect mm, yes. a 10 mm-hmm. Yeah. Brianna brought up that, uh, uh, Vinny, you haven't seen this, but Mom, you have, that the, the moving of the mattress reminded her of uh, Ada McMahon's uh, film in my MFA showcase about moving the couch, trying to get a couch <laughs> down a, a, yes. or up a flight of stairs. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's a delight. With a it's lot one of emotion. Also. Yeah, mm-hmm. genuinely no. one of my favorite documentary shorts. It's most it's just told mostly from just like a, a fixed camera sitting in the corner of the room and watching through the doorway as uh, these two women try and get a couch down, a, I guess, down a flight of stairs. Um, OK, that it, that it just is just slightly too wide to go down. Um, and there there's a lot of emotion and a lot of. um I don't know. It feels like kind of a celebration. It's a really lovely film. Which also, also reminds me of, is it The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul or Dirk Gently's With the chair that's stuck halfway up It's a couch. It's um, a couch I think also. It's, I think it's the first one. It's the one with the doorway that like travels through space and time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a uh, couch stuck on the landing of his apartment building and he can't, uh, it can't, can't get it. It can't go up and it can't go down, and it seems like it's impossible for it to have wound up where it is. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So it is Dark Gently's Holistic Detective Agency because that sounds vaguely familiar. 
and I've only read Dark Gen for Solistic Detective Agency, oh. not The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. You, sh- you should read The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. I think it's actually the better book. Yeah, I, I really should. the first one. <laughs> oh, really? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I have also read The Salmon of Doubt, which is halfway of a third one, yeah. sort of. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, that, it definitely felt unfinished to me. Right. I yeah. haven't read Salmon of Doubt. It's like his it, sort of posthumously collected writings. I, I'm very gotcha. sad that we didn't get a third Dirk Gently book out of Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame that we got five Hitchhiker's Guides, though. Yeah, we could have done, mm. you know, two less Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide and one more, one Dirk, more Gently. Dirk Gently. That would have been good. I, I think you mean two fewer. <clears throat> two fewer. I apologize. Precision of language. <laughs> um, Thanks, Avril. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that the gender roles in this section are troubling, but not surprising. Yeah. Um, yes. With the, mm-hmm. when have we cleaned under this bed before? Uh, right. And looking at the wife and... Right. Um, Don't you want to go get the vacuum cleaner? I hate that, but yeah. also 1963, so uh-huh. am I really surprised? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think it does sort of go against like the traditional gender roles because James O's mother, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, I don't think doesn't she gets really a name. seem to care that much. Yeah, yeah, mm, right. Yeah. In fact, in fact, in a way, I was surprised that she, when she left, you know, so she's smoking her cigarette, right? And he makes that crack mm. about when did we clean it last? And then she left. I thought she wouldn't come yeah, back. Right. Honestly, <laughs> because she seemed so yeah, so weary, disinterested. Yeah, beleaguered, yeah, disinterested, and kind of condescending about the whole thing. And like, yeah, you idiot. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Okay, you you're gonna do it, and I'm I'm gonna sit back here and watch because I'm not participating. Yeah. But then. But then she did come back with the vacuum. Mm-hmm. But she never actually vacuumed or used it or anything. She just came. Oh, because she couldn't get around the bed. So they, they, he they suggests to... that they take it apart and hand it in pieces across the mattress. And I right. think at one yeah. point she was vacuuming, though, wasn't she? I think I, she yes, did. at the very, very end. Yes. Yeah, when he goes back upstairs. Of the vacuum. Right. Right. Um, okay. Lots of fear in this section. There is, mm. yeah. There's yeah. also, I just want to acknowledge the paragraph about, after the diagram about the closest yes. conventional analog and, yes. and the brachiostrone problem, mm-hmm. um, that I uh, have no energy to try and chase down any of these references, and I, I don't agree. know. I briefly looked down the brachiostrone problem. Um, there is a whole lot in there that I have no idea uh, what it means. Um, And I probably, from what I've been able to tell, it's basically about looking at a curve and looking at particles jumping off that curve as a means of describing that curve curving upward rather than downward, which makes a vague amount of sense when thinking about (laughs) annular fusion. Because Mm. basically Mm -hmm. the way we're understanding annular fusion is that you have these particles that are going from the inner rings of its atom to outer rings of its atoms. Right. Thus creating energy and all of that. And I, I mean, I do think that's important. I feel like that diagram accurately uh, sends home the idea of like just generally rings within rings as being what yeah. annular fusion is about and kind of how it works. 
Yeah, yeah, that and describing it as basically like the whole jumping off point of the doorknob spinning yeah. wall, which, yeah. which I buy a, in a sort of science fictiony, hand wavy kind of way. Like here's how here's how the warp drive works, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it should be noted, and we should all bow to the young James O. I mean, the kid was truly a genius. Mm-hmm. He was a genius. I mean, I yeah. I read this, and like Vinny, I looked it up, I looked a little bit up, and I kind of had the most vague understanding kind of of it but here's this little kid who sees his doorknob rolling around and can come up with this schematic this is going on in his head so it describes it in all this technical terms but then it says at the end of that section that the movement of the amputated knob perfectly schematic schematized schematic how do you say that? Schematized, I think. Schematized what it would look like for someone to try to turn somersaults with one hand nailed to the floor. Uh, Ah. I thought Mm -hmm. this is not really necessarily relating only to the whole annular fusion thing. This is like like the incandenza kids' lives. It's like Mm -hmm. James O when he was a little kid and then... Yeah. And then his son, that you're trying to do stuff, but you're you're seriously handicapped yeah. <laughs> just because of your life. <laughs> I thought that was a very sad sort of image. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, should we move on to the N.A. meeting? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't have mm-hmm. a lot to say about this, except that the the uh, horrifying hug swarm is is really uh, quite startling. Yes. I um, definitely found myself thinking they're not social distancing. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I know. It's funny, isn't it? The whole mm-hmm. idea of all these people going around and hugging—it's like, what are they trying to kill each other? <laughs> <laughs> yep, a little bit. But I think it's interesting to hold the NA meeting up against the AA meeting that we go to with Gately, and how Gately is terribly thoughtful about it and right. this NA meeting seems inane and unhelpful at best. Yeah, well, at it, least it at feels least it like does through or daddy what through or daddy's yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems like kind of close narration from his perspective and Because and even he's... Kate Gompert, who is, you know, arm keeps everything and everyone at arm's length, she actually allows and does the hugging. Even though she's obviously not thrilled so you wonder if she were explaining it what she would say but her daddy is so like he really looks down his nose at all the other attendees he really holds himself as as up as better than them somehow and so it was pretty funny that in the end roy tony yeah there's roy Roy tony Tony. uh, (laughs) assaulted him with hugs Mm -hmm. um i've got a vocabulary word oh yes it's anechoic uh, as Ooh. in the anechoic vestry of an upscale church. It's an adjective of a recording chamber, television studio, or the like, characterized by an unusually low degree of reverberation, echo-free. Yeah, they're really so, weird yeah. things. There's um, anechoic chambers are used to test electronics and stuff to see uh, whether they produce electromagnetic interference and what kind of sounds they make and stuff. 
Um, there, mm. I think one of the biggest one in the country is in Minneapolis. Uh, I unfortunately never got a chance to see it when I was there. They look like they're covered on all sides with spikes, kind of. Um, oh, wow. And I, I have heard, uh, I think this is a real thing, that they are so quiet that if you go stand in them for long enough, you'll start to hear your own heart beating and like the sounds your body makes just by being alive. Um, and, and that if you stay there for a couple hours, you'll actually start to have auditory hallucinations because Whoa. it's oh, so incredibly wow. quiet. Wow. Ooh. I don't like that. Ooh. It sounds fascinating to me. I'd love to try it sometime. It sounds fascinating, but also terrifying. Yeah, uh, I think yes. that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all of those spikes, that's just foam, correct? It's just acoustic foam that's used to, uh, it's like sound baffling material. It's kind of a more aggressive version of the like egg crate stuff that you see on the walls of sound studios. Mm -hmm. Can you just remind me again who Roy Tony is? Is Roy Tony Roy the Tony bad guy is, or the good guy from the... I think you're thinking of poor Tony. Oh no, no. Roy Tony is, uh... Oh, uh, I have this. Yeah? You don't have to pretend to know. Go for it, go the for girls. it, go for it. Uh, Wardine's mom's boyfriend Wardine's... who assaulted yes. Wardine. Yes, that's right. right. Okay, yeah, so he's, he's, I think oh, he's okay. bad news. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back on the ledge. We are, oh, man. uh, there's some talk of, of people, uh, either accidentally or intentionally seeing the entertainment in the course of studying the entertainment. Mm-hmm. Right. They admit they've lost some volunteers. They lost Hank Hoyne. Uh, right. who was a 20-year a man with the department. His experience sounds more directly like addiction than any other experience with the entertainment that we've encountered mm -hmm. so far. Well, didn't he, he go... He, he goes he in go after someone. Didn't he go to try to rescue a volunteer? Yeah, yeah a, volu intern? a volunteer breaks in, be I think, because they're curious. And so he goes in after them and winds up in four-point restraints right. in a hospital bed. He's being fed through a tube and right. steeply says, I couldn't even stand to be in the same room, see him like that, begging for just even a few seconds, a trailer, a snatch of soundtrack, anything. His eyes were wobbling around like some drug addicted newborn. Right. Mm -hmm. um, That's the first that we've really heard a description of what happens to somebody. Right. And presumably he didn't watch it for long. Right? No, I think just I a mean, few seconds. Been, yeah. They would have shut it down or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe they can't. I, I don't know. I would, why no, I would, would imagine there, there would have to be. Yeah, that's what I keep thinking is why isn't there an emergency stop button that just like cuts power to the viewer? Mm -hmm. mm. Although I guess how would you know that something was wrong if you can't look into the room? Well, this is happening. Right. I don't know. It seems it seems like there's very few ways to research this safely. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought the most profound thing in this section was Marat was saying that the USAers, uh, he thinks that they're all fascinated by the entertainment because they really want to know what's on it, you know, and that the research mm -hmm. is to try to find out what's, what is it? Yeah. What, and, and that the Quebecois, they are really interested in, in it because they're fascinated by its power. Yes, mm -hmm. less, they think it might be a useful tool. Less about what's on it and more about its power over people. Right. I think for Steeply and probably also for me, the thing that's most terrifying about the entertainment is that he says, um, 
I watched this man put down all sugar and treats when he first got diagnosed with diabetes, just put them down and walked away, not even a whimper or backward glance. But uh, he winds up in this state and, and has this like right. intense need. And I think that it like the, the question of how how can we need something so desperately but be totally unaware of it until we see this thing that fulfills this need that we didn't know that we had? Mm-hmm. And how can we participate in something that we know is going to be so mm. hideously bad for us, too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some other little details in here that I really liked. There's a mention of the constellation Hercules's head is... Dibs! Oh, yeah? Go for it. If you're going into the constellations, I call dibs. Okay. I, w- I was just going to make note of the fact that his head is square. Which like, oh. is also... Like Don Gately's. There you go. Thank you. Yes. I also made that connection, but dibs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, constellations. Um, I This was my deep dive. Excellent. Uh, the, so, at the bottom of 507, there's this line that talks about uh, the legs of the constellation of Perseus were amputated by the Earth's horizon. Perseus, he wore the hat of a jongler or a pantalone. Hercules's head, this head was square, and it was not long to dawn also because at 32 degrees north, Pollux and Castor became visible. So, lots of information here. Perseus, mm-hmm. as we know, is the hero who killed Medusa um, by beheading her, and uh, Medusa has come up a bunch with Medusa and the Odalisk. I have all these questions about whether Medusa is the entertainment, or the entertainment is a Medusa. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Perseus beheaded Medusa, um, and from her severed neck area emerged Pegasus, the flying horse. Fun facts. Um, Hercules, Squarehead, Don Gately. Special thanks to James Jason Walsh for his 2014 thesis, American Hamlet, Shakespearean Epistemology and David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, which I will be reading in my free time. (laughs) He quotes another scholar saying, um, Walsh writes, Heracles, famously, is given 12 tasks to perform before he can go to Thebes to marry, while AA also denies Gately relationships and imposes an identical number of duties upon him, the 12 steps of its rehabilitation program. Mm. When I realized the comparison between Hercules and Gately, I remembered that one of Hercules' 12 labors is to clean out these really rank stables. Which directly parallels mm. Gately's restitution job, cleaning yeah. that awful, awful bathroom. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> so, fun facts. And then <laughs> a special thank you to the Night Sky app for Mac, which I downloaded this morning. Um, <laughs> mm. I wanted to see if it was true that you could see both Perseus and Hercules in the sky at the time of year that Marat and Steeply are there. And oh you can, but mm-hmm. um, they're kind of on opposite sides. So um, one of this scholar um, posits that uh, Hercules stands in for Gately and Perseus is a, um, is a Hal. 
type figure, mm. which with Perseus's uh, relationship to Medusa and Hal's kind of relationship to the entertainment could work. I need to read yeah. that. What about, so, more deeply. What, about, what about Perseus as Marat? Because they yeah, say that's that what I was going to ask. The legs about. of the constellation of Perseus were amputated. Also by the true. Earth's Interesting. Horizon. But Does, he is wearing a funny hat. He's wearing a funny yeah, hat. A so hat. that's hmm. what makes me think that it's maybe a Hal, just because of the Interdependence Day uh, yeah. feast. Um, but. Finally, the last thing that I learned from this app is that Castor and Pollux at 32 degrees north isn't possible before dawn. If our year estimate is correct, the um, constellation of Gemini wouldn't be visible until like 9 or 10 in the morning. Hmm. Bam. Hmm. Hmm. I was actually wondering if Castor and Pollux could be a stand-in for Marat and Steeply. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Be especially the way that DFW describes one of Castor's legs inbent in a feminine manner mm, um, mm -hmm. could mm. be construed as steeply and his yeah. dressing. So do we think then, it, like, is this a key to what's going to happen? Whoever is represented by Perseus, is that person destined to destroy the entertainment or undo what it has done in some way? I don't know, because yeah, I mean, with the words amputated, as Norma pointed out, mm. that could be Marat, and it doesn't necessarily bode well for whoever is Perseus. Yeah, I do. I right. mean, I do have to say, I don't see Marat as being like we see a lot of Marat in the book, but he doesn't seem to be a direct participant in much of the story. They're like, yeah, Sadler he's more. Yeah, yeah, he's a commentator on the story, not so much yeah. a participant. Yeah. Just like Settler and Walter. I'm now imagining a Muppet version of Infinite Jest, and it's making me very happy. <laughs> okay, so Hal is played by who? Kermit. Oh, perfect. Okay. So who's Gately? Yeah. Gately is... Um, Sam the Eagle. Ooh. Sam the <gasps> Eagle? Yeah! Yes! Um, yeah. Uh, Pem Pemulus would be like Gonzo, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, or, or maybe Mario would be Gonzo. Uh, yeah, I could, well, maybe. Or maybe. is Mario Fozzie Bear? Oh, the, yeah, maybe uh, Fozzie. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, this needs to happen. The, yeah. Like, surely there's some sort of brand corporate confluence that can cause the Muppets to make, like, a four-hour-long Infinite Jest adaptation. Yeah. Do we have other things here? In oh, I section? did find the sweet uh, insect reference. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Uh, it's in the last paragraph at the end of this section. It was not that the sky was lightning so much as the star's light had paled. There became a sullenness about their light. Now also strange-looking USA insects whirred actively past from time to time, moving jaggedly and making Marat think of many wind-blown sparks. I assume, yeah. he's, I assume he's talking about Fireflies. Fireflies. Mm -hmm. I, that's lovely. Mm -hmm. it, uh, Brianna that mentioned sweet? that to me. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really nice. I like that. And it, it parallels the bonfire that they're also watching. Right. Yeah. 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 Those mysterious bonfires that have been going all night. Yeah. In Tucson. Yeah. 
We yeah, don't know I, wa- why. I want to know more about that. I'm I'm worried that we will never find out why those bonfires right. were happening, but I want to know yeah. more. Um, should we move on to the waiting room at Enfield? Yeah. So the first thing I, I mean, want to point out is that is that uh, like his grandfather, Hal hates the sound of squeaking furniture. <laughs> That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah, and then similarly, um, the description of the room also reminds me of the parents' room from last yeah, chapter. Yeah, blue carpet. Yeah, blue, blue carpet. Um, all the reading lamps. Mm-hmm. The like you said, the squeaks. All of that. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that other than this. Like, like, is it a way of telling us that these things echo through generations and and nothing is ever truly over or buried? I mean, probably. Why the blue? Why was, what's with yeah. his what's with his obsession? I have to about say I was a little resistant to that. It felt like how can I say this with the most contempt possible? It felt like a grad school creative writing exercise. Like it was <laughs> implying that he's depressed? Like he has the no, blues. No, no, no. No, oh. j- just that just that like oh. huh, I'm trying to think of a unique way to describe this scene. I've got it. The color blue. We'll, yeah, but we'll use isn't... we'll use that as our yeah. Yeah, but part of the creative writing exercise would be suggesting the color blue, but not using the word blue. But this does the opposite of that. It's every, blue mm. this, blue that, blue this, blue yeah. that. Yeah. So I agree with what you're saying, but it just also, feels like a, it's it, doing it, the assignment wrong. It feels like a structural game that David Foster Wallace is playing with the chapter. And it's kind of fun. I don't, th- I don't, I'm not convinced that it signifies anything other than that he was looking for an interesting way to write the scene. Yeah, for me, that. what it brought up was what we were talking about a few weeks ago, where the person, uh, Corrine Baldoff, was reading Infinite and Marking Colors. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Again, I have no True. idea what blue would mean or why blue is used so much or anything, but I feel like... Um, I don't know. Maybe Corey Beldoff has some ideas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for for sure, it um, like y- you know, it, it, this. I I don't have a thought here. <laughs> I can yeah. I can see why someone would would say that there's like color is important in Infinite Jest. I have no theory about what it means, but here I it guess is again. Blue, blue in general, blue in environmental design is it would be considered a calming color, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, calming. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. it's, the, it's the color of sleep aids. Uh, yeah. It's it's so I guess it makes sense that let uh, me this Google office this where psychology where mm-hmm. kids are where students are often summoned for you know because of potentially stressful things that mm-hmm. they've done or that they're going to happen to them or whatever that yeah i, I, I mean, mean not for nothing is the is the cloud wallpaper also yeah. in the dentist's office right mm-hmm. and thank god hal finally got that what a relief yeah mm-hmm. we were talking about that about how uh-huh. is that possible at this place and with that you'd think they'd be all over a bad tooth because they would want wouldn't want their star tennis player distracted so finally it happened we don't know why we don't know who made him go or if he just finally said okay it doesn't seem like he would ever say okay but maybe okay according to wikipedia the article on color psychology uh blue is masculine it uh 
communicates competence, high huh. quality, corporate,、oh. and reliability. Hmm. 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 I would never have guessed all that. I I would not have have thought that either. I don't know、either. if I believe it, but I mean, it's got to be like hugely cultural, right? Although blue it's certainly got to be. Is, blue certainly is the boy color. Well,、oh、just ask、yeah. any three-year-old, and they'll tell you. I I suppose. Even if their teacher is jumping up and down, shrieking about colors don't have colors gender. Colors don't have genders. <laughs> I I remember、uh, hearing a I I can't even remember what it was. Some podcast that did a deep dive into the blue-pink dichotomy. <gasps> and, yes. And how there was a、um, the word girl used to refer to all children, and the color、ah. pink was the、mm. color for all. All children. Or no, no, no. No, the co- the color pink was was the color for boys, and the color blue was the color for girls.、Right. I and, read that somewhere、yes. too. And and there、that. was a reversal at some point. And I think the conclusion that this podcast came to was that nobody was exactly sure why that happened, but it was like a sudden switch. Part of it was related to cultural、um, interpretations of gender, and、mm. um, previously or before the switch. Um, men were deemed to be like sexual and hot-headed, and like couldn't be trusted、um, oh, yeah. with the children and stuff. And women were a calming presence. So、um, uh, <laughs> attitudes shifted, and women started to be vilified more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、Um, and so, like, dad was the honorable. A、uh, person and,、uh, and children needed to be protected from women's like sexuality and、uh, capricious moods, flightiness.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you it, know when this shift happened?、Uh, I don't. I want to say、okay. it was like the late nineteenth century. That sounds right. I'm dragging forward any of the information from my women's、uh, American history class from undergrad,、mm. and it's coming, kicking and screaming. What I found maybe the most kind of unsettling thing about the waiting room was the wall of photos. I liked it.、Mm. it I thought of, they were cool. I thought it was creepy that they had it. I mean, it's an admissions、room. office, I isn't it? Yeah, I don't... Essentially. Yeah, I mean it's a kind of an administrative office. Pictures, I、they're、don't like, know, and they're, they're like shots from competition. And、But、they're real like, recent. I mean, they're current, all, so they、yeah. not all of them, not all of so, them. They still have they like Marlon Bain and people up there. But a lot of them are current students, and they say that Mario and Oren are not in the photos. They make a point of、mm. saying that.、Mm. All these students, Hal is in the photos. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I didn't see anything sinister about it. Not sinister, but it just made me wonder. Like, CT doesn't seem involved with his students, really. Yeah, but it's not. They're not in his and, office. They're in like the. Avril, I don't know. Yeah,、Isn't、I don't Avril, think CT is involved with students. I think CT is involved in marketing and having、yeah. these、mm-hmm. um, action、okay. shots of the students playing tennis and showing how great they are athletically and everything is a good marketing decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I don't know what it was that bothered me. I'd rather just, see those pictures than like the mugshot lineups that my high school has. They're photos of all of the graduating classes since forever, and so you、mm. just see everybody's graduation picture in like 
little boxes. Mm. I found Bill Murray, but <laughs> um, that's neither here nor there. They seem like mugshots to me because it's like, I finally made it out. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's the anti-mugshot. It's the release photo. <laughs> <laughs> High school as jail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did like the line. It was in the end note. Uh, that said, the photos have been looked at so often they're pale. <laughs> <laughs> that is really uh-huh. good. So there's a mention of a couple uh, people playing micro tennis. Do we know what that is? Um, micro tennis would be playing tennis um, at the. It's I just like can't a remember, smaller, but that half- smaller court. Yeah, yeah. Basically, at the halfway mark. Um, okay. Separating from you know the ground stroke level to the volley. So you're okay. yeah, basically at the halfway point of the court and playing very small tennis. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm making tennis racket motion. Ah, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so finally we get some context on lateral Alice Moore. Yes. Yeah. And, and what a story that she was a, a helicopter pilot and actually this just now occurred to me. She was both the pilot and the traffic reporter. So she must have been the only one in the helicopter. That's right. Um, For a major Boston radio station until a midair collision with another station's helicopter left her with a neurological disorder that meant that she could only walk sideways. Mm -hmm. But she would indulge students by making helicopter sounds and imitating her traffic reports to entertain them while they're waiting. Right. I found that really sweet. I really like her. Yeah. There's also, there's also a mention that she lives in an apartment where all the it's, it's really a long, narrow, narrow apartment right where the rooms are only narrow. two meters yeah. wide. Right. I mean, if that's all she needs, because yeah, another vocabulary. This yes. one is escuchon. Um, yes. Escuchon, I think, is how it's pronounced in well, English. I am looking it up at my dictionary app right now, and it says escucha or escuchon. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. What is um, it? So yeah, that. Is a shield or shield-like surface on which a coat of arms is depicted, or mm. an ornamental or protective plate around a keyhole, door handle, drawer pole, light switch, or nautical, a panel on the stem of a vessel bearing its name and port of register. Hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, another quick thing, which is more personal than anything, but in footnote 209, uh, it makes reference to John Newcomb who was a oh. famous Australian tennis player. Um, and also the John Newcomb Tennis Ranch was the main tennis camp that I went to. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And that is uh, in Brunsfield, Texas. Interesting. Close to El Paso. Oh, and uh, John Newcomb did have a brilliant mustache, uh, oh. which is <laughs> the context that he was mentioned in the footnote. What a fabulous mustache. Mm. Just crawling down the sides of his face. Yeah. Reaching out and trying to grab his chin. You know, he kind of has a a friendly face. Yeah, he does look, he looks like he would be fun to talk to. Like you could grab a beer with him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Real quick, a couple of fun, quick facts about John Newcomb. Uh, Mm. So his tennis ranch is in New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, He is an Australian living treasure. (laughs) And uh, speaking of wanting to grab a beer with him. In 2001, he was revealed to be President George W. Bush's drinking companion on night four of the night of September 4th, 1976, 
when Bush was charged with driving under the influence. Oh, the controversy so surfaced neat. during the 2000 U.S. presidential election. Wow. Oh, my. That's a real thing. Huh. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> so John Newcomb. John Newcomb. Did we know that Avril has white hair? Not until right and did, now. And did yeah. we know that it that it came on suddenly like three like months a, before uh, before James months. O died. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I had always assumed that she had black hair. Yeah. She might have previously. Oh, that black could be. hair would usually mm. go white rather than gray. Yeah. And they also mention Avril. And I was trying to think what we know about Avril growing up, because it said that she has little sense of spatial privacy or boundaries, having been so much alone so much when a yeah. child. Do we know anything about her childhood? We don't. I don't think so. Not really, no. I don't think we... Do we even know the circumstances under which CT was adopted? Don't know. No. Okay, we no. We don't know that. But we know she likes him a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. Which we is also know... Troubling. And something that is solidified in this chapter is that Tavis is a creep. Mm -hmm. That's neither here nor there, but oh boy, is he a creep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get more with Tavis in a minute. I have a thing about the Quatlique complex. Uh, I don't know if now mm. is the time for that or if we have more to talk about before then. Before we move too far from uh, Lateral Atlas, I also really enjoyed the fact that she has an electrified third rail uh, mm. that mm -hmm. moves her desk chair back and forth. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did Sounds like that. real nice. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, I can't think of her name now, the counselor on staff. Rush. Rusk. 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 Dr. Yes. Rusk. The one that Pemulus hates. Yes, mm -hmm. despises. Loves Dr. Rusk. Um, With a hard gem-like she always She always wants to probe Hal on issues of space and self-definition and something she keeps calling the Quatlique complex. Right. Um, and and then, then there's an end note there that just says no clue. So, <laughs> so I looked up, I looked up Quatlique. Uh, she was an Aztec goddess who gave birth to the moon, stars, and the god of the sun and war. Oh, um, cool. She has a skirt made of snakes. Excellent. Um, uh -huh. and, and so the legend is a little bit muddled, but I'm, so I'm basing this on Wikipedia has a kind of inconsistent telling of this story and i also looked at an article by cecilia f klein about it um so in a sort of immaculate conception thing that happened at a temple quatlique became pregnant with uh oh i'm gonna totally butcher these names i'm gonna do my best Huitzopochtli, uh who was the deity of war son human sacrifice and the patron of the city of tenochtitlan um her daughter Koyo Shaki was enraged that her mother was pregnant for some reason. It's unclear. Um, but uh, she rallied 400 of Quatlique's uh, other children to attack oh her. She yeah. had a lot of children. Mm. Yeah. She, uh, yeah. So, uh, so Ko Koyo Shaki or Koyo Shaki uh, mustered this army. They attacked her and killed her. And uh, Huitzopochtli rose fully formed from her body and fought back against his siblings. He decapitated Koyoshewki and threw her head into the sky where it became the moon. 
Um, other myths depict Kwatlikwe as a creator goddess being voluntarily sacrificed during the beginning of the present creation in order to help create a habitable world. So this is all very out there, and I don't really understand how any of this could be related to Hal, but I'm immediately suspicious that anything the narrator claims to know nothing about is actually right. really deeply significant. So I do right. want to kind of hold on to it right. and, as, as maybe being important to the story I, in some I way. Looked, I, I did a little research, too, on that, and I found a much more simplified, shortened, it must have been Wikipedia, uh, mm -hmm. that she's like the symbol of the earth as mm -hmm. both creator and destroyer. Mm, and yes. mother of the gods and mortals. Yes. It does seem like it's important, probably. <laughs> I guess I don't really know how that would translate into a complex. Yeah, I don't I don't a really understand complex. that either. It's his mother complex somehow. I I, I guess, yeah. The presumably Quatlique like, would be Avril. And I then guess, he but... would he would maybe be Huitzopochtli. But with like an Oedipal complex, the the subject is Oedipus. Right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so what is wouldn't it, the well, comparison well, be or, defender of his mother? Or or does 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 Rusk mean that Avril has the Quatlique complex and she's interested in how that relates to Hal and how that affects Hal? Yeah, I mean, I could see that maybe. Um, most I can figure is it might have something to do with self-sacrifice or something like that. Yeah. That, yes. Okay. Yes. That reads absolutely. Yeah. Actually, that read helps with the, the politeness roulette that Hal and Avril play over the <laughs> Granny Smith apple. Mm -hmm. Kind of the idea of Kwatlike being both creator and destroyer. If yes. she's yeah. your mother, what does that mean? Right. If she's created you and she's destroying you too, you know, probably mm -hmm. simultaneously and in, in a really tangled way. Mm -hmm. Just a side note about the politeness roulette. It reminded me a lot about my mom has this saying about how uh, it's two polite people trying to go through a door. <laughs> oh no, after you. No, no, That's, after That you. also happens with James O and his dad in the mattress oh, moving right. thing. Oh yeah. Yes. We find just little things like like that Hal neither Hal nor Axford can ask for help with errant mm -hmm. tennis balls. They just right. can't. Even yeah. though it stall mm -hmm. he, it stalls out their matches. They they just can't. There's a little description here of lateral Alice Moore's dot matrix printer that she clings to <laughs> as, as sort of a Luddite uh -huh. gesture. I just bring that up because I have this very, very strong sense memory of the sound of dot matrix printers in school offices. And uh -huh. I'm curious if anyone else has that memory. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if I'd... I'd probably know you, if I heard it. You but... may have been too young for for dot matrix. I'm dot not matrix that much younger than you. You're a couple years younger than me. I feel like that makes the difference. It might have made a difference. Oh, okay. Because... Yeah. <laughs> I just remember when the office front desk person would come on the intercom with announcements. Sometimes the dot matrix printer would be going so loud that you could barely hear her voice. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So, you know, the modern world has improved in some ways since the 90s. There are sounds. There's sound history. There's the dot matrix printer. None of you know the sound of the mimeograph machine. Mm. I, that's the sound no. that I can't let go of. Yeah, the sound and the, the smell from what I've heard chunk, as well. Chunk, 
chunk, chunk, mm, yeah. chunk, yeah. chunk. Yes, and the smell kind of smelled like carrots, right? Is am I remembering that wrong? You would never have you. We had mimeo when I when I was in like first and second grade. We got mimeographed handouts sometimes. The like like purple ink. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure it caused brain damage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I admired was the description of Hal's face on Novocaine. Yes. Said the, mm. left, the left hand of Hal's face feels like something far away that means him harm and is coming gradually closer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's very good. Which also kind of jives with the description of CT as being like oh, yeah. s- seemingly far, like seemingly right. receding yes. into the distance at all yes. times until he needs to become <laughs> intimidating. Right. And then he starts to get bigger. Right. Um, there's a, so there's another uh, little brief deep, deep dive I did here because it mentions that CT was a structural engineer before, yes. before oh, his administration. I this up too. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, uh-huh. so he, it, it, it credits him with designing the Toronto Blue Jays Sky Dome. Yes. Um, which is now called the Rogers Center. It opened in 1989, and in reality, the structural engineer was Michael Allen. The stadium was notable for its retra- like almost 100% retractable roof, which was a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a little quote from Michael Allen here about the design process, which actually relates to, it says that he'd been in his own small way a minor pioneer in polymer reinforced cement and mobile fulcra. So I have a little bit of description here. This is from Michael Allen himself, interviewed in 2015. He said he was talking about the roof of the Sky Dome. And he said, Uh the panels were going to have to telescope together somehow. The solution came to me when we were at a dead end. I was on a plane from Toronto to Ottawa where I sketched up the ideas of movable roof panels, combining in a circular motion with rectilinear motion. At home, I spent the whole weekend working on it at the dining room table and came to the conclusion that it would work. The solution was to have two middle panels that are parabolic arch rectangular elements and two end panels that are quarter domes. There are two types of motion, the two middle panels moving straight back in a linear fashion and the quarter dome on the south side moving in a circular motion. This is complicated. It is. Mm -hmm. At the opening ceremony in June of 1989, Premier David Peterson ceremonially opened the roof with a laser pen. The roof's Mm -hmm. opening exposed the crowd to a downpour of rain. Despite audible chants of close the roof, the president of the Sky Dome Corporation insisted the roof remain fully open for the remainder of the ceremony. <laughs> did you look into the hotel? I did. Yes. Yeah, so this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was so ready really to funny. I was so ready to write this off as being uh-huh. a thing that David Foster Wallace yes, made up. It, it sounded made there's up. Things, it, it doesn't sound like you wouldn't think that whoever is in charge of the 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 camera for the big screen would have also been the one who was like operating the switcher and putting stuff up on the screen so it seemed impossible that it could have been the work of one person uh-huh. but uh so there is a hotel attached to the complex right. and, and they uh, do have 70 field view rooms yes um so this is from wikipedia the stadium's inward-looking hotel rooms have regular two-way windows yielding instances of what some could consider indecent exposure and leading to nicknames such as sex dome and exhibitionist stadium yes When Sky Dome first opened, a couple engaging in sexual intercourse was televised on the scoreboard Jumbotron during a baseball game, thanks to Uh illumination from stadium lighting despite the room's lights being off. Days later, a man was caught masturbating during a game in full view of the packed stands. The man, later tracked down by a Sports Illustrated reporter, calmly said, I thought they were one-way windows. 
Patrons, patrons now have to sign contracts stipulating they will not perform any lewd acts within view of the stadium. The last reported uh, such instance occurred in 1996. Occasionally, broadcasts will zoom into humorous instances from these hotel rooms, such as a pillow fight during the 1992 World Series. Aw, hmm. cute. And, and they now have numbers on by, beside each window on the outside. So that they uh, so that permits the hotel to know the room of any indiscretion that oh. any indiscretions are happening. Ah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so they're numbered on the outside, so they can see them from the field. Say, yeah, I I just you thought need to it go was talk to room seven. <laughs> that's such a wacky thing that I couldn't believe that I that know. was real. I know. There's also some more information about Hal. It was it mentioned that Hal. Never ever considered asking CT or mom for intercession or or information yeah. about the you know what's going to happen as the fallout from the eschaton thing. And then it says that he rarely thinks about his family as related to him, except mm-hmm. for Mario. Mm-hmm. That he has this yeah. Th- so this, this, so this odd this odd blankness about his family might be one way to manage a life where domestic and vocational authorities sort of bleed right, right. into each other. Right. Hmm. Right. I wonder if that also overlaps with the creation and destroying. Yeah. Hmm. I can uh, see that. With Avril, anyway. Like, she has to destroy the the mom's part in order to be the tennis academy administrator person. Yeah, I could see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. When it talks about Hal and CT, it, it, he's ta- saying that, that CT is really shy and mm-hmm. so he overdoes his, yes. you know, like he, he tries to cover that up. And he, so he overdoes his social responses and that uh, Hal finds him really uncomfortable to be around mm-hmm. because of that. Mm-hmm. Because it's just such an uncomfortable thing. Although, and then it says that Mario is more sympathetic. Of course, and Mario. CT, and yet CT is not nice to Mario. Like despises him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Despises yeah. him. Yeah. Either way, uh, I'm I'm really interested in that theme of like using openness as a cudgel. It's yes. just it's so infuriating to hear him talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Oren's comment. CT is less like a person and more like a cross section of a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It seems like based on these quotes that we hear from Oren about his family, it seems like he really has the number of all of his family members. Yeah. Like reg- regardless of whether or not he's a good person, he does he doesn't seem to be one. Like he can really bitingly describe everyone's shortcomings. Yeah, and and just CT, an odd and delicate specimen, both ineffectual and in certain ways fearsome. Mm-hmm. As headmaster, mm-hmm. they describe him as uh, when he's administratively threatened as being kind of like a cornered rat. Lots of rats in this section too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like rat imagery. Yeah. There's also the mention in the end note where, that James O invented the rearview mirrors that oh, make yeah, that's, things that's look 18. further away than they are, and that was inspired <laughs> oh, yeah. by CT. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was struck by how there's the Hal talking about the other time he was in the the last time he was in the office waiting. For a long time for CT who wanted him to like mentor mm-hmm. this new kid that they were getting who had just extreme, extreme physical disabilities. And yes. I was struck by how weird it is. Like there's it on the one hand, it feels like there's 
a lot of meanness around disabilities. Mm -hmm. And yet, (laughs) ETA is admitting this kid and really a lot of the students that they've admitted have pretty stunning disabilities as when you think about them playing tennis. You know, mm-hmm. blind, conjoined twins, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not entirely really, sure what, like, what's, what's the... the Deal. Like yeah, what that's one thing I didn't understand about this story is why is CT willing to admit this kid or interested in admitting this kid? Right. Hmm. I mean, is it an underdog story thing? Yeah, I don't like, know. Like CT roots for the underdog and is interested in giving him a shot. Or is Maybe. it somehow to make up for how much he hates Mario? Or, well, I get, so I guess they say, they say that Tex Watson and Corbett Thorpe broke CT down over the kid's admission and tuition waiver. So I guess th- those two pro-rectors were really in favor of the admission. But yeah, the question is still why. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get the feeling that it would be any form of like CT necessarily wanting to root for the underdog. Um, If it is this underdog story, I think it's because CT would see value in an underdog story, meaning Mm, the marketing mm -hmm. potential. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe just that they, you know, they just want students there no matter what. And as long as they're paying, well, they they say they, they, they waived his tuition. Oh, they waived his tuition. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is a pretty marketable story. True. Mm -hmm. But super gross. I have such sad and sorry feelings about ETA, too, you know, in general, that I've I've mentioned, I'm sure, in the past about a a lot of things, a lot of their shortcomings. But, Mm -hmm. like, what's what's the deal somewhere in relationship to this little girl? um, Oh, yeah. uh, There's the comment that a lot of parents just dump their kids at the gate and take off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're t- well, that? they're talking about, well, I think it's just like, you I, know, I think it's part of the comedic aspect of it. And this being a slapstick novel and but you know, also, once again, yeah. You know, I get, I get the sense that that's probably the case for a lot of like most boarding schools in this universe is that a lot of the kids there are there because their parents don't want to deal with them every day. Yeah. Ugh. Hmm. But a six-year-old? Gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dump her off. Mm-hmm. That was all creepy, too. Like, we're going to disassemble your skull. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. he just gets worse from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then she, it's like he doesn't get it at all. He doesn't get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. developmentally appropriate uh, <laughs> language. Yeah. To more no. kid. Yeah, no, I, I think he's he's, he's a bad a teacher. He's a creep, yeah. and and I think I I think he has very little emotional life of his own. Um, yeah, and, and because of that, he has a hard time understanding that anyone feels emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of my read on him. We also it's sort of the end of this chapter that the politeness roulette thing comes up, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that Hal kind of just thinks that's how she is, but Oren thinks that she does it on purpose, that it's intentional. 
He said mm. she went around with her feelings out in front of her with an arm around the feelings windpipe and a Glock 9mm to the feelings temple like a terrorist with a hostage daring you to shoot. Yeah. I dare you to hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said it's like mugging her if you tell yes. her about uh, any problem. problem. Right. Yeah. But Hal kind of does forgive her, right? I mean, he's not, he doesn't seem that close I think to he's her like, in some ways, but in other ways, he does seem close to her. He and really, like, he I mean, really he likes her. her. He, I, I think he, he, he tolerates the quirkiness and the. Th there's, so I think that he. He loves her and he uh -huh. kind of worships her in some ways, but also he's he maybe is beginning to recognize that there's things about their relationship that make him feel bad, uh, but he doesn't know what to do about them. Yeah. They talk about her talking like pretending to not know the word clinkers and him uh, being willing to play along. Right. He's always so pleased to play along. Is it showing off if you hate it? Mm hmm. But yeah, then it also says the mom's always had this way of establishing herself in the exact center of any room she was in so that from any angle, she was somehow in the line of all sight. It was part of her. And so to that extent, dear to Hal. Dear to Hal. Yeah. Yeah. Oren had once described Avril as the black hole of human attention. Right. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like he certainly wants a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black. A little, little projection there, maybe. I was also wondering if this is the first time that we actually hear Avril speak in the actual present it's, narrative. It's still a flashback, though. No, it's well... It is. Nuh-uh! Because we're in, we're in Hal and Pemulus and the others in the waiting room waiting to be disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. She came out. And she comes out. Are yeah. you sure? Or did she, no. was that his memory of being there before? Yeah, no, it's because the, kid being the only other time this year that Hal was officially summoned to the headmaster's waiting room had been in late August, right before convocation and during orientation period. And Tavis had wanted Hal to take temporary charge. That's when she came to talk to him. Well, he's waiting because... Nuh-uh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was because she said something like, what, you're still waiting? And he's like, yeah, I'm still waiting. But mm -hmm. it was just him. He was the only one right. in the waiting Yeah, room. and it's at, it's at oh, night, right? It's yeah. at night. It was getting late. He had missed dinner. And she, is mm -hmm. that right? And she was, mm -hmm. she invited him to but, come and have dinner, but he made an excuse. He lied about something. He lied about. No, I yeah. thought that was happening right before getting. No, in the present day timeline, moms is in her office with the girls doing the, uh, what do they call it? The diddle check or something. Yeah. Something yeah. Disgusting she like comes that. out though. And then the girls are doing their little like. No, um, no, they're, they're alone in the waiting room when she has that conversation with him. Okay. But, Okay, because no, she because Avril is also like checking in on Tavis, like looking right. into the yes. Tavis's office. Here, yes. here. You've had nothing to eat then yet? I was summoned. Tavis's voice in there. I'll invite you right here and now to sit in my lap and let me make soothing sounds as in there, there, there. Um yes. with Tina Ect. This is yes. presumably right before he disciplines them? No, but when they walk into the office, there's a bunch of people in there, including Lamont Chu, not Tina Eck. Tina Eck is in, <gasps> yeah. in the mom's office with oh, the other girls. Oh, that's super confusing. Yeah, it is. 
Oh, oh I don't like that very much. So, so like, so, so we are hearing her talking. We're That's hearing right dialogue there. with her, but Holy it's still not. Shit. It's still in a flashback. Oh wow! Does she even exist? <laughs> I don't think she actually. I wonder if she we doesn't hear, ever speak. Well, wait a minute. Though we do time. hear her say, we we hear her talking to the girls in the present. Mm-hmm. Well, we hear. But we hear do we ever hear her about her talking to the girls? We right? she's directly quoted as saying, "Hmm." That's nothing. Yeah. That's not anything. Yeah. I mean, um, we did hear her. What did we hear her um, address the school at Interdependence Day? I think she swings her hat around. And what does she yeah. say? Yeah. She swings her. No, hat she around. swings her hat around. But I thought before that. Okay. We heard there, there, there's more in the present tense. We hear her say, "Not quite what we're trying to speak of together right now, Erica." Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. All right. But I still don't know that I would count that because that's like incidental happening in the background. Yeah, it's, it's being noise. overheard. It's not addressed it's not... to the point of view character. And exactly. It's still Hal, Hal is describing what he's hearing, what he hears. Yes. Right. Right. It's not, mm-hmm. right. it's not like she's yeah. not talking to him. Right. Yeah. There's also the mention. Where is it? Is it at the very end where it describes? Uh, Otis Lord is there with the monitor. Oh yeah, yes. Or Otis Lord, yes, yes. Yeah. That they're in. They're in the office with CT. They're in the right? office. Uh, yes. Do- uh, Doctor Rusk and Otis Lord with the monitor on his head like a helmet and the urologist. So, so that wasn't a lie earlier. It was, no, it wasn't an exaggeration. <laughs> really he true. does still have it over his head. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the nurse has, has two to little hold it in place. Yeah, yeah. It's horrifying. And why yeah. was the urologist there? Oh, I'm guessing because they think that it's drug related. Oh, I oh, think, oh, okay. I right. think so. I think that Otis Lord snitched on Pemulus's urine racket, and that that oh, uh, that's that he's busted. Weird. I thought you know the other thing, interesting thing about Pemulus in this chapter is hmm. that Hal talks about how Pemulus wants nothing more than to be able to graduate from ETA. That he really, really wants that, and he doesn't want to get kicked out. He wants that diploma from ETA. Yeah. And like, he's desperate to have it. And yet he's such a schemer and scammer. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. kind of bewildering. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really, really, really doesn't want to get kicked out. And yet he puts himself in these, these like constant situations where getting nabbed for any of the things that he's done any of these schemes would getting expelled yeah surely but he's also 17 so is he really expected to make that connection that he's putting himself in that situation i'm sure it's infuriating to everyone that he doesn't but yeah but he's aware enough he's aware enough about it to know that this could be it yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i mean he seems genuinely terrified like yeah. he's he's trying not to think about it, but he's he's absolutely he's terrified. memorizing his uh, defense that's written mm-hmm. out that he had Hal write out for him, did he? I'm not entirely sure. And he's got this big printout that he keeps going over and over in the office to try to get mm-hmm. it straight in his head. Mm-hmm. One wonders what the defense is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and also, let's just be clear about how annoying it is. This is an enormous chunk of reading. About mm-hmm. being in the waiting room outside CT's office, and they're all they're dreading what's going to happen to him. 
Uh, and then it ends on a cliffhanger. And then it ends and we don't, we still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, Which there, is there is another to the on the ledge thing. <laughs> right. There is another ETA and it house crossover that Clinette is, oh, yes. is there in the office. Oh yes. yeah. What is she doing? She, is she she's cleaning, she's emptying a, trash cans? Emptying or? trash cans, I think. Yeah. It seems somehow sinister that she's apparently been in here all this time. Right. I've got a final vocabulary. Oh, oh good. Yeah. Amenuensis. Uh, yes. On page 515. We, um, it's, it's funny that you should mention this because I'm like over a month behind on getting these published online. Episode 17 that I'm editing right now, we yeah. talk about amanuenses. Amanuenses. Oh. Okay. Yeah, but, so I guess we already talked. I can't um, remember what it is. A person employed to write what another dictates or to right, copy right, what right, has been right, written right. by another. Yeah. Right. That's Often what used Hal by does composers. Penulous, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. How is that different from a ghostwriter? It's funny that we also had this discussion. Oh. So, really? so I, I refer you back to episode 17. I think we, des <laughs> we describe it as being somewhere in between a ghostwriter and a transcriptionist. I think is the, oh, okay. what we land on. A ghostwriter takes a lot of liberties with restating what the... A ghostwriter right. listens and then writes what they sort of recap or puts, puts it together in a way that makes sense. I would and say that, they're on the same spectrum. And this, um, and this one, who's the word that I can't quite say, is more like a transcriptionist who's taking liberties yes. <laughs> with his transcription, mm. kind of. Yes. The other uh, vocabulary word is sinistral. Oh, yeah. I love that word. Sinistral. Left-handed. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. It's one of the, the oh, ways in which yeah. left-handed people are, like, subtly discriminated against. And, sinister. and, uh, like sinister. Sinister. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's, sinister. Where, that's where that comes from. That's so yeah. I continue to bow in complete awe to David Foster Wallace and his thesaurus use or something. But well, he definitely words. has a Hal-like obsession yeah. with words. Yeah, the, the, the words that he uses that I've never heard, I think. Quite impressive. And because the book is so long and he uses so much of it, I just keep thinking how exhausting it would be to keep coming up with all these these obscure words to use. It seems like it would yeah. totally disrupt your writing when you're trying to. Or does he have the word and just? Be oh, I think I think he I think he just it? has them. No, I think he just has that language in his head. Yeah, weird. Does anyone have anything they'd like to plug? I am on Instagram at cardboardvv where I post pictures of my painting. And I am on my new bike a lot, riding around Ooh. Fort Collins. So if you see me, you is can it wave fun? at me. Is it, is it nice? Oh, it's lovely. It's so Yay. exciting. It's sad. We have so much smoke from wildfires here that mm -hmm. there are a lot of days where we're in the red zone for particulates in the air. And so I try not to do a lot of biking those days, but mm -hmm. it's lovely. Nice. It's a nice ride. And you can read a seven-year-old thing that I wrote on my website at briannacratz.com. It's really Ooh. good. And it features a picture of my palm dispenser. Ooh. Oh, I just saw something that reminded me of your palm dispenser. And what was it? It might be an art uh, show in Denver 
that has one of the, you know, the, oh, the, like the things that you put claw? the money in and it has the grabber and it reaches down and you try to pull out the stuffed animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead it has uh, original art. Oh, nice. That oh, you try cool. to get with the grabber. And, and when I read it, I thought, <gasps> it's like Brianna's <laughs> poem dispenser. <laughs> you can read about my disruptive advertising project, Suddenly You Are Aware, an attempt to remind YouTube watching commuters on the Chicago Red Line that they have physical bodies at my website, agingrick.com. Oh. And I'm on Instagram at Coffee Stop Fix, where I post frivolous photographs. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about pages 528 to 548. Our music is by Jonathan Rigby. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Thanks for listening, but do not, under any circumstances, enjoy yourself. Also, you can edit this into the episode if you want, but we're recording this on my birthday. Oh yes, happy birthday! Happy birthday, birthday, Vinny! Thank you!